2: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at scott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. So good to be with you today. We are together each and every day from 3 to 5 the number is 8885282557 if you want to join our conversation 8885282557. Uh how, how was your weekend? I hope it was it was good. And uh, you know we are uh, I got to speak at a men's retreat this weekend, which was a blast, and it was for an Armenian uh, denomination, an evangelical denomination, and so a bunch of guys and I were together this weekend, and just a lot of conversation, a lot of good time, and you know the, the Lord is doing great things in, in this world and stirring us up, I think, in a lot of ways to figure out what's the best way to get involved. We talked a lot about that. I had a great time. Up there. And, you know, when we take a look at the things that are in our, our news today, I want to just draw your attention maybe for this segment just to this idea. When you hear all of the back and forth about what's happening in Israel, a couple of things to keep in mind about that, by the way, is there are a lot of different conflicts going on in the world today. And, you know, this one, it's, it is quite remarkable for a lot of reasons why this one has the attention of the whole world, you know, in a way that is, uh, bigger than anything else. And that, that, you know, is, is frustrating if you were maybe from Ukraine and until last week you were the attention of most of the world. And, uh, that is still going on, of course. And we have had several hours of our show that we have talked about what's happening in our Armenia and Azerbaijan, and that battle that is there, then it's awful, and awful things happened to uh, Armenians there just a few weeks ago. And, you know, there is hurting around the world. But what's also interesting is that the Israel situation, I don't even want to call it that, but the... the the Middle Eastern question, okay, Palestinian state is in Israel, and who has a right to what, and all of this. Um, somewhere, most of the conflicts in the world are connected to that, and this brings us to something that, as Christians, and uh, if you're new to our show, you know it's the Pastor Scott Show, and this is a uh, you know Christian program. Um, but we have a lot of people listening who aren't Christians. And, of course, here in the Southland, I think people are coming from um just about uh, all kinds of different perspectives on our show. We saw in uh, the Southland, Los Angeles and San Diego, and, of course, across the country, lots of protests this weekend. Some are pro-Israel, some are pro-Palestine uh Palestine or even pro-Hamas. And, you know, it is interesting to me that the actual... Answers that you will find to why in a lot of this. If you go through the history of Israel and the history of the last hundred years in the Middle East and all of those things, you can get to a lot of whys and you can get to a lot of answers that are important you know, from a historical standpoint and some things that you should understand, right? There's never actually been a Palestinian state, which is relevant to the conversation. If you dig over there, you find uh Israeli, Israeli relics because this is the homeland of Israel. And you've got to ask, you know, why are there, if there's 22 Arab states and, uh, you know, why are they opposed to one Israeli state? And maybe the bigger question I have is why do we have so many people in our streets in this country who seem to be supportive of a terrorist action. Now not everybody marching there probably even knows what they're talking about. I would suppose most don't. And not everybody would acknowledge that they're supporting, you know, terrorist strikes because what we have what many people have been taught is just not really the truth about Uh, The situation in Israel. But let me tell you something. When you hear people chanting, you know, from the river to the sea, uh, what that means is you're calling for the destruction of Israel and the killing of all Jews. I don't know if you realize, but that's what that means. I'm wondering, I'm watching these protests, mostly young people, students from our illustrious universities And uh, I gotta tell you what, as a dad with a kid, we're talking about university. now. Maybe I don't want him to go to college. We're gonna be the first gen, we're already there, right? You're sending your kid to these prestigious schools and they come out as idiots um, from a a moral standpoint and wondering why in the world that life is so hard in your 20s. Well, part of it, if you're listening, is because you're taught the wrong things, that you are not given a actual true worldview of how things work not just the palestinian situation but uh just about life i mean if you're if you're going to a school and they're teaching you that uh men can have babies you that should be a light bulb should go on that you are learning perhaps other things that are not actual not in reality and i'm watching this and i go how many people who are chanting these things intifada intifada and, you know, what do you think that means from the standpoint of somebody who is um, Palestinian, actually, or from Israel? What do you think that means? Um, and do you realize that it's a call to war? And do you realize that Hamas, who you are at least tacitly supporting here, and we've talked about this many times, are calling for the extermination of Jews? That's what this is. Right? It's not about, you know, if you, if, if Palestinians want just a state, they've been offered this state five times and they've turned it down every time and every peace plan falls apart. And it falls apart because of the rejection of the peace plan because the actual goal of, of groups like Hamas or Hezbollah or the, or the Iranians, which are a big part of it now, is to kill Jews and wipe them off the face of the earth and have no Israel. Period. No Jewish state. And that's not the opinion maybe of everybody who is thinking this through, but that is what's going on. And part of the reason I think we're confused about this is because we aren't getting into the religious worldview of fundamentalist Islam. The idea that the Hamas charter says to kill all of the Jews wherever they are hiding and quotes part of uh, Quran and that interpretation for different things, that the entire charter of Hamas is to destroy Israel and Jews wherever they live. And to reject, it specifically says to reject a Palestinian state. Did you know that? That's why they don't govern. That's why, you know, if, if Gaza wanted to be a state or the West Bank or wherever the, the land is going to be, if Gaza wants to be a state, all they had to do in 2006 is start to govern themselves and put in infrastructure and, uh, stop terrorist attacks. And if the view that the Israelis are the terrorists is correct, then what would have happened is the world would see, hey, Gaza's is just trying to put a country together and you guys keep attacking them. And the world would not be on the side of Israel temporarily. And I say temporarily because I think what you see in these marches is that the world very easily will come against Israel. And if you're wondering why that is, you have to have a worldview that includes religious points of view. I'm reading several things about Israel right now and the the Palestine and getting different perspectives on things, and I'm surprised at how much of it sort of glosses over the religious question here. And I think the religious question is the whole thing, that this is a 5,000-year-old problem. There are a whole lot of things related to this. But if you don't understand fundamentalist Islam and you don't understand the history of Israel from a religious standpoint, if you don't understand what even what the Bible has to say about the future of, of Israel and how central that is, then you really can't understand this problem. I would encourage you to study that. What do fundamentalist Islamics think about this? What do these nations actually believe? What is it that different perspectives in Judaism believe? What is it that Christianity teaches, uh, the Bible as a whole, about what's going to happen there? And when you get that worldview, I'm coming to you from a Christian worldview, and I look at this from a Christian worldview, I look at this and go, this is exactly what the Bible tells me is going to happen, that nations will come up against Israel. And they will hate Israel for the sake of them being Jews, not for really any other reason. And this is the case right up until the end when Jesus returns, and then you have peace. Uh, Only peace because all of the enemies of Israel will be wiped out. Somebody asked me today, you know, why do you think so many people will very easily turn and follow the Antichrist – which in Christian teaching we would say is at the end and there will be one leader. Most Christians believe there's a lot of different ideas about all this and the timing of it, but they believe that there will be somebody who represents uh, the the devil effectively. And I believe in my studying and my teaching on this is that at the end times, people will understand that those who follow the Antichrist are explicitly anti-Jesus and anti-God, not just even anti-Israel, but that it will be known that it won't be a, a mistake. You won't be you won't mistakenly get the mark of the beast. You'll know exactly what you're doing. And if you're watching this right now, you go, well, this is why. You know, if you think that if it's surprising to you that so many people, and we're seeing the surprise, you know, in the universities especially, all these people coming out now, I'm surprised that these people are doing this. Are you? It really shouldn't be that surprising. You have to understand religious worldview if you're going to understand this issue and why it's not actually about a two-state solution. The reason Hamas doesn't want it, the reason the PLO has never been able to agree to go there and always has had to turn around, the reason that Palestinians and different organizations who have led them have rejected this over time is because it's not about having a homeland. It's from an Islamic point of view, once you've lived there, regardless of how long or regardless of why, it is your homeland. You know, you'll find zero references to Jerusalem in the Quran, none, not one. But you got a big old mosque sitting there on Temple Mount for a brief period of time in history where Islam, uh, ran that city, or really a longer time in history. And the religious point of view is it doesn't matter who was there before, it doesn't matter whether or not, you know, what, what the circumstances are. Once you're there, it's yours, and your job is to kick out all the infidels from ever being there ever. And you have to understand that it's not just Jews ultimately. If you got rid of all the Jews, well, then it would be the Christians. You really got to understand if you are, uh, you know, LGBTQ, those are the people marching in these things I'm just stunned about, because they'd kill you if you were doing that in Gaza. You have zero rights. It would just be, it would be brutal. And I don't understand why we don't know that unless you don't understand, you can understand why once you understand the religious notion. This is Pastor Scott's show, 888-528-2557. Let me go to the phones here. Uh, Judy in Calabasas, welcome to the Pastor Scott show.
3: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Hi, Judy. Um, I'm a 20-something-year Christian, and I live with an Israeli Jewish roommate. And you know, I've she knows that I'm a Jesus believer. She's been to church actually with me, like at Easter. But she's saying now, how can you believe in a God that would allow this, you know, catastrophe to happen in Israel? And I really don't know what to say. You know, I'm posting psalms, you know, about God never uh, sleeps nor slumbers. And it's like, if that's true, then how did he let this happen?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, part of, uh, I think, the answer to that, and that's a hard question for anybody when it comes to God, right? A lot of people ask that question, how can God let bad things happen Um, in general? You know, people will ask that about situations in their own life, or why did God let this happen to me? You know, if, and This it's,
3: was so heinous.
1: Yeah, this is such a heinous thing. You know, I think that, you know, it particularly was with your roommate or somebody that maybe a listener knows who is Jewish, you have to go through uh, the Bible and you have to realize that Christians and Jews share these same texts. We just have a different interpretation ultimately about who the Messiah is and, you know, what that Messiah is going to do. And there's various differences here. But if you read your Old Testament, then you understand that God made promises and made promises about to Israel as a people. You understand – the first thing you understand is that God's the creator and he created um, – this was before there was any differentiation of people groups, okay? There were, there were men and women. That was it. And you have the, the fall of man where sin comes into the world and there's a consequence. And part of that consequence is war and violence, and you have part of human nature as being very brutal all through history. What's remarkable to me is when you look at the brutality of what just happened in Israel or the brutality that you saw with ISIS or you know, other terrorist groups or even the brutality that you've seen with other countries even in war, uh, every war has its atrocities even from the good guys. You know, we have not been innocent of everything, even when we've been justified in, you know, legally justified or in a just war principle kind of thing in war, right? Well, there. one thing— Yeah, go ahead.
3: Sorry, one, one thing in the Old Testament, as I'm reading it, is several times, you know, when he let the Babylonians take, um, you know, the Jews into captivity, and the thought crossed my mind, a horrible thought, is this, could this be judgment? And I heard a pastor suggest that, and that's horrifying.
1: You know, I would say this, that this is more or less the path that the world is on towards its final days. If you read through the Old Testament, there is judgment because Israel at different times decided not to serve the Lord. And that is, there is something built in in God's judgment that is when we do not follow what we're told. I mean, even now, if you go into Romans chapter one and you have the hardening of hearts of people, it's not just Jews, it's it's Jews and Gentiles and everybody. When we do not accept the way things are, uh, the what what is true about how we should act, we will suffer consequences from that. And ultimately God gives us over to our desires. And that sounds very harsh, but you have to realize you are choosing it, right? You're rebelling against the creator who loves you and who has given you a way to navigate this life. And if you rebel against that, there will be consequences. That's just a natural part of things. Um, a really good study of the Old Testament and what happened in all the empires will show you that—let me give you an example. I know this is, this is a lot, but in in 2 Kings about 16, you have the Jewish people and the priest— and the king of Israel, his name is Ahaz. You know, we're coming up on Christmas, so let me give you this this thought here. You know the the passage in Isaiah that says, uh, uh, you know, the child will be born of a virgin, and it okay, predicts okay. the coming of Christ ultimately. That prophecy in Isaiah is given to King Ahaz. King Ahaz, you can read the rest of the story in Second Corinthians uh, or Second Kings uh, sixteen. Ahaz was besieged by a whole lot of other nations. But Ahaz was supposed to – what Isaiah was telling Ahaz uh, – is that Isaiah 9 or 6? It's one of those. Um, the way this works is, I, is Isaiah was telling Ahaz, you don't have to make commitments with these pagan nations that are around you in order to defeat the Syrian leader. The Syrian leader – a Syrian leader was a guy named tigalath policer III. He was a bad guy. And the whole world was fearful of him. And he was coming up against Israel. He made a deal. King Ahaz eventually makes a deal with Tiglath-Pileser that says, if you wipe out my other enemies that are to the south, then, um, we will have an agreement together. And he does. And Tiglath-Pileser wipes out all of Israel's enemies. And what ultimately happens, though, is Israel becomes a vassal nation to Assyria and they fall right after that. The fall of Israel, you can find it right there in, uh, 2nd Kings 16. And, but when you cross-reference it with Isaiah, right then when Ahaz is ready to make that thing, that decision that was against God's law because they were not supposed to make agreements with these foreign nations, Ahaz is saying, God will give you a sign. God will give you a sign. If you do not believe that God is still with Israel, even though you have left him in so many ways, if you do not believe this, God will give you a sign, Ahaz. Very rarely in the Bible are we told we can uh, get a sign from God. Very, very rarely. Here, Ahaz has this opportunity. I mean, think about that, uh, Judy. If you were given the opportunity to to have a sign from God that he's still with you, you'd think you would ask about that. But all of a sudden, Ahaz decides to uh, get all holy about it and says, oh, no, I would never tempt the Lord my God with a sign. And he rejects Isaiah's offer for a sign. And the context then is Isaiah then later says, well, he's going to give you a sign anyway, and that sign will be that the virgin will conceive and have a son. And you get that great prediction about Jesus. Uh, The sign, ultimately, that Ahaz gets, that all Israel gets, that we get, even as uh, the Gentile that I am and and you are, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus is that sign. Ahaz makes the agreement, unfortunately, with Tiglath-Pileser, and Israel quickly falls after that. They start to, because of Damascus's uh, influence, they reject all of God's law, they reject their system for sacrifices, they re- reject a whole lot of stuff, and and they're gone. They're wiped out uh, pretty quickly after that. All that is to say is I just gave you a lot of history, and uh, I just barely barely skimmed it, okay, right on the top. But if you well, understand that, God has always been with his people. And the reason that we get in trouble is when we reject his word, when we reject his promises. And that happens over and over again. But at the I... But at the end of the day, let me get this part in here because we're almost out of time here. At the end of the day, God has some promises that He made to Israel that are not conditional. There's two kinds. There's there's conditional and unconditional promises. The unconditional promises are that one day uh, Israel will turn to the Savior and He will rescue Israel and be their King, and that is the second coming of Christ. That's what we believe as Christians. That was a long answer. Yeah, you
3: know, it's hard to when she says, "How could there be a God that would let this happen?" You know, I'm trying to come up with a. I can't. It's not a simple answer. I know that, but I'm stumped. I don't know, especially yeah. when it says, "God never slumbers or sleeps." Yeah, and they're saying, "How could this happen?" So well, anyway. what I would
1: what I would say to that is, it's it's much harder question. But when you get into why would God let this happen, you have to have a worldview about what is going on here, and that right. that evil is in the world, and what you saw is horrendous evil, and evil against a a particular people group. And God, number one, God ultimately brings all of that to justice. That's the problem. That's, you know, one way you have to look at that. You know, in the meantime, why is God doing this? Um, Part of it is that he wants to to, uh, let us know who he is, and he gave us an opportunity to not have these things happen, but but if we reject him, that is part of the problem. It's a much bigger answer to that, and I'm running into a mm-hmm. break here. So I'll, I'll say more okay. about it as we continue. But, Judy, don't give up that fight. Uh, I don't want to call it a fight. Don't give up that discussion with your roommate, because okay. remember to let her know that God has promised that there would be salvation for Israel over and mm-hmm. over and over, in spite of themselves. And I
3: just think— Jews right now don't want to hear that. They just want, you know... Well, they don't, but that's... so hurting.
1: Yeah, but, you know, it's... You have to... And that's probably not the right conversation right now to have, really, because of the injustice that here is done. But with respect to your roommate, you know her well enough to know when she asked the God question, that's the reason that he is going right. to bring justice to these situations. That's the promise. And the world is is barreling towards the culmination of all of that. It really is. Mm. All right, I got to take a break. Judy,
3: Okay, Judy, thank, thank you, you for your Pastor
1: call. Scott. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557. I see your calls on there. When we come back, we're going to take a little break from this topic, but we'll come back to it. We have Andy Bales here, and he is the uh, executive director and president of the Union Rescue Mission, and we're going to talk about uh, homelessness in in uh, Los Angeles, and we're right with all of that. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned.
2: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Number is 888-528-2557. And uh, we're waiting for Andy Bales to join us here in a minute. We'll talk about homelessness and and that. And uh, he's from the Union Rescue Mission. And, you know, andy, Andy's andy been in the hospital. He's out now. We'll talk to him about that and get a little bit of update about how he's doing. It's a little bit of change of subject as we were talking about Israel. I know that's the still the big news of the day. There's a lot of things to talk about. But in the same... Breath, some of what we're dealing with when we're talking about people's misconceptions about what's happening in the Middle East, when people, when we're talking about why would people protest and even favor the terrorists in our country, or maybe on some other subjects where we are dealing with why is the homeless problem getting so bad? Why is it worse? Why does it seem like crime is worse? Why can't we control the border? Why do we do nothing one way or the other about so many different issues? What's happening with our our universities? What is happening with young people with a point of view about whether or not men and women uh, are the same somehow biologically and should compete against each other in sports? that's a whole nother uh, conversation. You know, remember a few years ago, there was a t-shirt and a slogan that was the future is female was kind of the idea. And I might have been coming from a feminist crowd and, uh, you know, championing how many women are now running companies and doing all these great things. But uh what's interesting is, is that if men can become women and nobody questions that, that means the future is male, incidentally, right? It, it turns all of that upside down. It's where do these philosophies come from? And what I'm stating is they come from the same place. They come from presentations that are actually very old in their philosophical roots, even though this seems like it's new. This has been a change that's been going on for many, many years. And in a way, all of it's connected. And the way it's connected is that there is a belief now in the world that we can make changes – with the idea that this will benefit people, right? It'll benefit workers or it'll benefit marginalized groups. It will bring about actual human equity in a way that's never been done before. There's a belief that you can do that. But in order to accomplish that belief, you have to stamp out every other possible belief. That includes religious beliefs. It includes political beliefs that would go against that. So you got to stamp out capitalism. You have to stamp out, you know... Whatever kinds of non non communist versions of uh socialism, if there is such a thing you you have to stamp out any sort of political rhetoric in fact, you can 't even allow people to speak and continue to hold views such as that the the family is a natural thing. so if I say to you, uh, the natural state of the family, the way human beings are designed, whether you believe they 're designed by God or you just believe they 're designed by some natural force, some other you know, path of nature. It has always been believed, whether in religion or even in just what people think, that the natural state of the family is a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, or a man and a woman in a partnership raise the children, and that their job as parents is to raise their children, to keep them safe, to make sure their kids get educated, to try to raise children to carry on the family, to be able to work the farm or be able to work whatever it is that you do. And that the primary responsibility for that, the, in fact, the natural formation of family is husband and wife and children living together. And maybe you're also living with um with grandparents or other family members or cousins, and you, you have a family, right? But the natural family unit, what I believe is a natural family unit, is a man who's always been a man and a woman who's always been a woman. They raise their kids. And you will find that to be universal, whether you're religious or not. That has been what human beings think. This new era that we are in is an era that says all of that is some kind of construct, meaning it's not natural it's certainly not religious it's it is something that has been sort of enforced by whatever powers it be on humankind and the idea is we want to uproot that the idea is that if you're going to uproot that then you you create philosophies that would say that men and women are not biologically different even though they they clearly are you would say but we have people today in fact you know there are I'll play it maybe a little bit. I think we might have Andy here in a minute, but um, you know, there's a man who is in the state house in the state of Wisconsin who's been going viral lately with the the things that he's had to say about uh, men and women, and he's arguing that there's really no difference. I'll come back to that in a little bit, but you you've heard this before, right? That there's there's people who are actually arguing that it makes no sense he says that if you are that women just need to try harder to compete against men you know the entire reason there is women's sports is because that doesn't make any sense that people who think that it's wrong that a male can now become you know, say that they identify as a woman and then join women's sports and then win championships all of a sudden and take scholarships away, that people who raise daughters who now are offended by that that somehow they're being selfish. You know, where do those views come from? Well they come from the same place, the same place that is arguing that homeless people um don't need to recover necessarily from their addictions that there are ways to help homeless people uh, without taking away their right to get stoned, without, taking, without requiring recovery or sobriety. And the reason it keeps getting worse is these philosophies have infiltrated our education system and now are within our leaders, and that's been going on a long time. But all of this breakdown in society is connected to the same thing. All right, with me to talk about the homeless situation is Andy Bales. And uh, Andy, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Good to be back. Hey, it's great to have you, Andy. You've had a uh, you've had a uh, heck of a time the last couple of months here with some illnesses.
4: I had the toughest time of my life, believe it or not, when uh, I got struck down with cryptococcus meningitis and ended up in the hospital. I was so wiped out I couldn't do social media or email or text for a couple weeks and didn't know whether I was going to make it, and uh, I'm having to learn how to walk again. I learned once how to walk on prosthetics. I'm having to learn how to walk all over again, and I'm trying to recover the best I can, and I've been back to work a couple, couple of weeks and gaining strength every day and trying to gain more strength.
1: Well Andy we've been praying for you and we missed you at our pastors breakfast where the KKLA so pastors sorry. or uh, the the conference not yeah. the pastors breakfast but the uh uh leadership conference but uh yeah you know we uh mostly we're glad that you are recovering so uh we want to keep praying for you and if you're listening Andy Bales is the president and chief executive officer of the Union Rescue Mission downtown Los Angeles um You know, Andy, we have been talking about philosophical differences on all kinds of things in our culture with with the difference between men and women in sports um, and even the difference of opinion of, you know, what's happening in the Middle East. And there seems to be philosophies that have been taught and learned and being taught as true that even though they don't work, and talking specifically about homelessness here, we seem to keep going down the same path um, but in our most recent conversations, you've suggested that maybe there's a crack in that, that maybe there's some people willing to listen to a better way to deal with homeless. How's that going? Yeah,
4: there's a crack in it. And there's, uh, as you said, there's a great divide. But recovery's on the comeback. Uh, Mayor Karen Bass has shown a, a stronger emphasis on recovery. Governor Newsom recently. Uh, announce the care court to intervene when somebody is gravely mentally ill or addicted. Um, There are flashes of hope, but as you said, those folks on the other side are going to do everything they can to to break down our society, to to take us to anarchy, and they will fight tooth and nail to continue on a road to destruction. So it's going to take Tremendous courage from the, the Mayor Karen Basses and Governor Newsom's and, and others of the world to keep emphasizing recovery uh, as the way to go. And uh, it doesn't mean you give up on people when they stay in their addiction, but you want them to keep trying and you show grace and accountability, but, but you want them to keep trying. You don't want to just enable them to kill themselves Yeah. On on drugs.
1: And do you feel like that is where philosophically we've been that, you know, to put it bluntly, that the idea of um, harm reduction, um, which is what is the philosophy that leads to giving people, you know, clean needles or access to drug paraphernalia, even access to drugs, those kinds of things. Is that a fair thing to say that we're just uh, allowing people to kill themselves?
4: Yes, we're we're enabling them to go down a path of destruction uh it's almost as if we're setting them up in hospice to just stay high the rest of their lives there has to be some intervention and hope for recovery and uh and our our recovery movement the north american uh, north america recovers movement is gaining strength in portland and seattle and denver um some in LA, they're, they're going to have a conference in Denver soon. So there's always hope, uh, but but it's it's a tough tough road. Kind of like me trying to recover. It's, yeah, it's, it's a tough road to move our country toward recovery rather than um, drowning our sorrows in either alcohol or drugs, and it's both. I mean, alcohol is the most legal drug we have. And the most deadly drug we yeah. have in America. And uh, when we realize that, we will, we will start making some progress.
1: Yeah. Andy, are you able to stay with me over the break? Um, sure. Can you do that? All right. Thank you. When we come back, I'd like to talk about, uh, you, you briefly mentioned uh, Governor Newsom signing, I believe it's Senate Bill 43, that changes terms of eligibility for conservatorship. And maybe you can help us understand what that means a little bit. Yes. Okay. This is the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Andy Bales. He is the President and CEO of Union Rescue Mission. You can go to urm.org to learn more and uh, to give to the Union Rescue Mission. They do a great job, and they are doing this the right way as far as helping homeless people uh, and people with grave addictions and serious addictions, urm.org. That's the Union Rescue Mission website. We'll be back with Andy Bales as the Monday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned.
2: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show and good to be with you. With me is Andy Bales. He is the president and CEO of the Union Rescue Mission. Andy, welcome back. Thanks for being with us today. I know you're recovering from uh, a long illness. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So, when we have a conversation about homelessness on our show, we often we often get calls from people who say, "Why can't we just, you know, force people into rehabilitation centers or put them in jail or do something to put them?" People have ideas uh, to put them on military bases or to just take them and put them in camps where they can get help. Uh, it's really not that simple to do that. Recently, though, a law. Was uh, passed. Gavin Newsom signed Senate Bill 43 that updates the terms of eligibility for conservatorship uh, and the definition of gravely disabled. What does that mean? Help us understand what conservatorship is, gravely disabled, and what does that mean for helping people who are in serious shape, who are homeless or on drugs. Yes, let me let me start with gravely mentally ill uh, or addicted is
4: somebody is a danger to themselves or others unable to make a rational decision to care for themselves to save themselves and um so if i have a friend on the streets who's displaying that kind of behavior i can petition the court to have them appear in care court okay that's the way i understand it and this is a um, a move back in time for me to 30 years ago in Des Moines when I would meet people that were a danger to themselves or others, and I would go to a mental health referee, and we would appear before the mental health referee, and I would present evidence, and they would present evidence, and I think I was 20 and zero in helping someone get off the streets. Things mm-hmm. were simpler back then. But we've lost that kind of common sense and sensibility, and we've allowed people to stay on the streets, destroying themselves for many years. And uh, we are our brother's keeper. The answer to that question from God is yes. And Proverbs twenty four eleven says that if you see somebody stumbling toward their death and You don't intervene, that there's a judge in heaven who will judge you based on your actions and and your heart in the situation. And so my clear instructions are to always intervene when somebody's heading toward death. Hmm. And I believe that's the objective of care court to to enable And I've said it will work if they add enough beds and enough staff and they will leave the free flow of alcohol and drugs and harm reduction out of the equation. Uh, Because if they add the harm reduction policy to care court and allow people in mental health institutions to use alcohol and drugs, it, it will all be lost. So those are my qualifiers for supporting this measure, and unfortunately I've heard uh, harm reduction used in the, in, the, in the talks about care court, and uh, th- those need to be ruled out because yeah, uh, one, time, one time somebody wanted to put vets uh, mentally ill vets on our fifth floor, and I was all for it, and I said, "But are you under the harm reduction model? Are you going to allow them to use alcohol and drugs?" And they said, "Yes." I said, "What good would it do?" to put mentally ill veterans on our fifth floor and allow them to continue using, uh, substances and alcohol. And so we didn't, we didn't allow the the deal to happen because it's, it's just irrational. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um,
1: why do people continue? Why do people continue to support that? You know, because to me that makes no sense at all. You know, some we've we have some buildings, you know, that the city has bought to move people into, but they can't fill them. And part of it is because of the same thing. If you won't ban people from using the drugs and alcohol or other things, other behaviors, why would anybody who wants to recover actually move in there?
4: Yeah, we have people sitting on the street because of the chaos that's going on inside uh, the permanent supportive housing units with yeah. the harm reduction. yeah. Model. And the other question about uh, care court and,
1: you know, it was uh, the what does it what does uh, conservatorship mean? So what happens? Oh, yes. Thank yeah, you. What happens Let me
4: give you a that. great example. yeah So 2006, uh, uh, Carol Ann Reyes was dumped on Skid Row. She she had dementia. She had a low grade fever. Uh, she had high blood pressure and she was in a hospital gown. She She was wandering down the streets of Skid Row. I called the police, told them that a woman had just been dumped by a hospital. One of my staff went out and rescued her so that she wouldn't be scared. A a woman went out and rescued her. We got her off the streets. Uh, Everything that should have happened to her happened to her after that, uh, that should have happened to her before, she was assigned a custodian, which is much like the conservatorship, a custodian to look out for her while she was in the hospital and help her, walked alongside her and and helped her get in a group home. So it's that kind of a uh, care that that comes yeah. when somebody can't take care of themselves. A, a brother or a sister comes along beside them and, and looks out
1: for them. Why has it been uh, so difficult to... Uh, make this happen. I mean, I, this seems like an obvious way to help the people who are in the most severe care who do not have family or people willing to help them. We shouldn't give yeah. up on them, right?
4: Right. The group of activists that you described, they fight for the rights of people to do whatever in the world they want to do, use drugs and die, be mentally ill on the streets. They think that's freedom, um, when it's not freedom to be on the streets, we don't even allow uh, animals to live like that on our streets. Why mm. in the world would we allow a precious human being to suffer and die on our streets? And and th- there are comebacks. I mean, I've seen people go into the hospital and recover and become brand new people yes. uh, with care, with intervention. But you're not going to get there if you don't intervene. That's right.
1: And, you know, Andy, I appreciate you saying that and uh, for fighting this good battle. I talked to a uh, a social worker who um, she said two things. You know, she kind of gave her like public answer of what to do. But then she said, that actually, there's no hope for any. of. She said off the record, there's no hope for any of these people. And I thought, well, there's no hope in the current way that you just described we have to do it, but there is hope if we're willing to do what it takes to help people.
4: We had 11 We had eleven moms graduate from Hope Gardens Saturday morning. One mom was using so badly that she would leave her older daughter home to take, to take, take care of the other kids so badly she was using for so long Her older daughter missed three years of high school, her kids were taken away, she poured herself more into drugs, was devastated, but she told me the other day, Andy, you saved my life, I called you a year ago, you connected me with your team, they got me to Hope Gardens, I I went to treatment for six months, and then I went into Hope Gardens, and today the courts gave me back my kids. Hmm. There is hope because there, is. there are miracle turnarounds
1: there are. in people. Well, Andy, I so appreciate uh, your ministry and what's happening at Union Rescue Mission, and I know it's happening at other similar ministries around. Uh, everybody listening, you can learn more by going to urm.org. URM.org, that's the Union Rescue Mission uh, website. And Andy Bales is the president and CEO of the Union Rescue Mission. And Andy, I'd like to pray for you before we go. Thank you, sir. Uh Let's all pray for Andy and uh, his ministry. God, I thank you for Andy, and God, I pray that you would continue his healing. We pray that he would regain his strength, his ability to walk after this suffering from the meningitis that uh, was in his life. We're thankful, Lord, that he is uh, back to dealing with these issues, and I pray that you would continue to use him and others to influence a change in our thinking, because as Andy said, Your Word tells us that we can rescue those being led away to death, that we can hold back those staggering towards slaughter, and we see this so often here in our town. I thank you for the Union Rescue Mission and others who are doing your work, Lord, at uh, rescuing people. I pray that we never lose hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Andy Bales, thanks for being with us on the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you, Pastor. All right Andy Andy Bales uh we're glad to have him we uh his his health it was pretty scary what happened to uh what happened to him. We're so glad that he is recovering. This is the Pastor Scott Show. You can get uh, the podcast of this program by looking for the Pastor Scott Show wherever you get your podcasts. Just click subscribe, and uh, you can follow along uh, with us there. You can also follow me on social media. Just look for at Pastor Scott Show, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Pastor Scott Show. And you can watch us live, by the way, right now on kkla.com. When we come back, we'll get back to the Israel issue, and uh, we'll take your calls on that. The number is 888 528 two25 888 528 2557. Pastor Scott Show will be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned